Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined, as always, by Will Schroeder, Startups.com CEO, founder, and as we established in the last episode, my friend. And that's been true for a lot longer than I've been saying it on the podcast, just so everyone is well aware, Will included. Uh, forever. Speaking of amazingly great outcomes, uh, Will, you know... Big outcomes is one of these things we talk about a lot in the startup space, right? You know, the the, the whole unicorn concept, and um, and I know we both have a lot of feels about all of that. In if you go back in your history, man, like at what point, if ever, was not aiming big enough the problem? Like, did you ever like it's like, gosh, if only I had tried for a bigger outcome, something better would have happened. Was that ever a problem? You know, it's, it's actually the problem. Uh, absolute problem. If I look back, and you know, in history, is this great teacher. Had I aimed for bigger outcomes, I would have missed almost every major opportunity that defined my life and career. I mean, think about the Isn't that interesting? way, right? You know, after after having done nine companies, not all successfully, by the way, um, every time you get into something, you think it's a, it's a great idea, right? You know, you think hopefully maybe it's a big idea. Uh, although I, I would argue the the I hope it's a big idea mentality is dangerous. And that's probably a lot of what we'll talk about here. It's that uh, this concept of saying it's got to be big or it's nothing or the idea isn't big enough, etc. is such a fundamentally broken approach that, and and by by the way, not driven by entrepreneurs. It's driven by investors, right? Like entrepreneurs just kind of backed into it over time. Um, And where I think more and more founders uh, end up missing the point is is on kind of two vectors, right? I think one is they say, well, if it's not big enough, I won't get the attention I need, ergo investors. And it's, again, you say, okay, is that really what you're after? You're after investment, not you know building something? Uh, and then the second is, well, I'm not going to pursue it at all because it's not big enough. And in either case, I would argue, uh, those are both broken fundamentals. Um, it should be a good idea that has a real market, that might become something big or 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 change and morph we'll talk about this uh into something big but just saying it has to be big to pursue it all it it just prevents you from making lots of good decisions and so i I think i think that's worth unpacking today that's interesting so yes i mean so essentially the the postulation there is that by by setting the the metric too far out of reach by setting it so far into the future or so far uh beyond what you could possibly conceive in this given moment um, that you're that you're putting yourself into a dangerous spot, right? That you will make decisions counter to what would potentially be uh, beneficial at this stage of the business by trying to hypothesize how big it could possibly be when you don't even know if it works small at this point, right? Let's break this down in stages. I, I think that this isn't just about saying is this a big company or not. It's about all of the decisions that we may make by saying it has to be big um, that prevent us from actually being successful. And, and I think that's that's the core of this. It's not just saying big is bad. Big's not necessarily bad. Big is just an outcome on your, uh, on your path to growth, right? Um, it'd be the equivalent of us saying, uh, I want to field a baseball team and we only hit home runs. <laughs> it's like that's home runs <laughs> yeah. are awesome. Yeah. But you sort of have to get on base, right? And so... For, for all of us, uh, getting on base is actually a win, right? So for example, let, let's, use, let's use two kind of uh, two ideas with two potential outcomes. 
and, and we'll make them kind of generic, right? And I'm curious your thoughts here. Uh, outcome one, outcome A, let's say, is uh, a $3 million business that makes, let's say, $500,000 in profit. I was going to say a million, but let's say 500000 Each is a lot of money, right? Um, but vastly not considered a big opportunity. Uh, option B is a $100 million plus company making however much. I mean, at that at that level, it could be making anywhere from like $0 to $20 million, right? Could be losing money, depending on how well-funded you are. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, uh, some huge outcome that could lead to some uh, uh, IPO or, or massive wealth event. Let's compare those two. And let's start with uh, probability. The probability of getting to a $3 million uh, on, on 500K kind of um, exit, so to speak. When I say exit, I just mean like, like a, a milestone point at which you can say, uh, yes, we've achieved something versus $100 million. It's a bit of a straw man argument because it's obviously getting to $3 million versus $100 million uh, is dramatically different. Not to mention very few companies fundamentally could even get there. Like not every idea can expand that much. Would you agree there? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's some businesses that are going to cap out at a certain revenue level, either you know logistically or even just the market size. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, which is what we're talking about today. Let's start with that, though. Um, if what we're saying is I'm going to evaluate even getting started by what ideas fit under the option B scenario versus the option A scenario. Here's a whole bunch of places uh, where I think that breaks. First is you're assuming that the idea before you've even done anything with it is already the right idea. Meaning uh, like when we started startups.com, I had no idea what the company was actually going to be. We just knew that, right? That we just wanted to help entrepreneurs and it would sort of kind of become something, hopefully, right? Uh, and, and it wound up becoming the company that it is today, and we're super proud of it. However, if if we had dismissed the entire thing based on when we knew the least about where the idea could go, think of what a miss that would have been. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like <laughs> you're... Talking about these these massive outcomes and like these, you know, we're, we're aiming for a billion dollars or here's the opportunity. At the stage when you're still at the idea level and you're, you're, you're the cocktail napkin still wet with the ink, right? Is kind of like talking about how you're going to negotiate your, your, your child's NFL contract based on theoretical combine scores that won't happen for <laughs> at least 22 more years because the kid hasn't even been born yet, right? Like it's ludicrous, and yet, and this is what we do, right? I how often do we hear this this notion of like, well, look, the the U.S. market for X is you know seventy two point six billion dollars. If we only get two percent, like, come on, man, like, can you can you can you sell the first customer, right? Let's not worry about the the, the total size and potential of something that hasn't taken its first step yet. If our idea around uh, idea A or option A was um, we want to build the best real estate agency in Columbus, Ohio, right? And that's a business that could get to $3 million throwing off 500K, right? And option B is we want to fundamentally build a uh, major level competitor, say Remax or one of the other uh, major competitors, and it's going to have to be a billion dollar company to do that, you know, scale and what have you. Um, you could look at both of those opportunities and, and you could start with one broken argument. You can start with one broken argument that says, well, it's going to take the same amount of time to build a small business versus a big business, so I might as well just build a big business. Such a consistently 
dumb argument. <laughs> yep. Yes, it takes the same amount of time, but that doesn't mean you're going to get to the same outcome. That's right. Right? It's so incredibly assumptive. If we ignore a huge part of the math, which is the probability, then all things are equal, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why only giant companies get built and only giant companies create good outcomes for entrepreneurs, right? Not, not even close. Yes, it takes the same amount of uh, effort to go to, to play college football as it does to, to eventually get drafted into the NFL, but it doesn't mean you're going to go to the NFL, right? That's right. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't understand where that argument came from, right? I don't know. When we're looking at those two opportunities, one of the first things we should be looking at is probability. What is my probability that I'm going to get to an outcome that I give a shit about? And let's, let's, let's unpack that part, Ryan, if, if you would. Everyone keeps thinking that there's this finality to this journey. In other words, I picked up uh, opportunity A, which means it's a $3 million business. And I'm just, I guess, done. I guess when I hit $3 million, I just give up and I stop building my business. Like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. At startups.com, when we got to say a million dollars of revenue, I was super psyched about it, right? I was, you know, I, but I wasn't like, oh, guess we're done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I guess that's as big as the opportunity is. Um, and so had I, you know, or had we as a team, not me, had we given up, so to speak, at that point, uh, you could maybe make the argument that we didn't pick a big enough idea. But if, if what we're going to be is the biggest realtor in Columbus, Ohio, and we actually hit that milestone, can't we just get bigger? <laughs> yeah. Can't we just expand the scope? Hello, Cleveland. Well, maybe not Cleveland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's not go there. But listen, I, I think um, when we're evaluating these these, uh, these our ideas, and then, of course, you know, kind of, kind of getting behind our ideas, one of the challenges that I consistently see with, with, the, with the, the founder thinking is that if it's a small business, uh, you know, th that I'm somehow uh, locked away to that outcome, right? Yeah. Let's back up, Ryan. Think about how many things you've worked on that may not have been like a runaway success, but fundamentally changed your life. Yeah, most of them. Right. That's what I'm saying, right? Yeah. And so picture this. You're 22 years old. You have to think way back. And you are, you're thinking about start, starting a business. And you say, I've got this business idea that can maybe generate a million dollars. And you say, I don't want to do it because it doesn't sound big enough. My argument would be, dude, you're 22 years old. Yeah. If you get a business to a million dollars within the next couple of years, you know how yep. few people can ever do that? I just ran into this. I just ran into this on a clarity call like uh, a week and a half ago. Uh, this this young young team, uh, two, uh, two co-founders, uh, one, one male, one female. Um, and, and they were asking me, you know, probing questions about what I felt about the market size and, and we were going back and forth and, and looking at some comparable, uh, companies and so forth and, and trying to back into some math. And, you know, we, we came up with something like around, you know, eight or 9 million, uh, top line would be, would be a good, good solid. And they were like, yeah, you know, we just feel like this isn't worth 15 million or more. Uh, we're not sure we want to get involved with them. I'm like, hang on a second because <laughs> like, they're both really young i mean like i think i think he's like 22 or three and she's 24 or five and, and i was asking i was like so what do you think you'd be paying yourself at, at that rate like what do you think you'd be putting in your pocket what do you think would change financially for you uh what are you making now right and, and they were like they're making like you know <laughs> fifty five thousand dollars a year now i'm like you're telling me 
an $8 million business wouldn't put you in, in a better financial position. It wouldn't be worth doing. That's, you know, you're not going to pursue it because, because what? Like, where did you set the arbitrary bar uh, on how big your, your Scrooge McDuck money vault is going to be at the end of this? Like, <laughs> I just don't get it. Well, here, here's why. Because uh, often we go in with a broken set of parameters. And this is one of the most common things I see among uh, entrepreneurs. We say, I need to have this huge outcome, right? Yeah, you know, I, I need to make $10 million or $100 million. And, and the truth is, it's not like if you were set up to make that much money that the only reason you didn't is because you set your sights too low, <laughs> right? I don't know a single person that's made, and I know a lot of people that have made that much money. I don't know a single person that has made that much money that only made it because they refused to make any other amount of money, right? right. Like, yeah. dude, if it were only that easy, right? Uh, if only you could just select what you wanted and because you selected it, it happened. Also, like, who 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 doesn't end up getting the money, right? It's not like, oh, I said I was going to make 80 million on this business. I made 100 million. And so now the, uh, you know, this this government body that doesn't exist is going to come and take that other 20 that I didn't declare I wanted to make away from me. It's no longer mine, right? You still get to keep it if you exceed your goals. No problem. Right. Well, he, here's the thing, though. If I were starting from scratch and I were to say, okay, what are my progressive goals? See, this is where people get messed up. They say, uh, my goal is I need to make $100 million and live off that, and, and here's the list of things that I, I can buy with that money. The, the math is so broken. Um, what they're missing is that's not the way life works. You don't just set one goal, and you kind of hang out until you hit that one goal. It's, just, it's not at all the way it works. The way it works is you set a near-term goal that is your next milestone. You optimize all of life to get to that milestone. And then if you are so rare and fortunate to get to that milestone, crazy idea, you set another one. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> we get to pick more than once? This isn't, so this isn't like the price so is right. I just get to, I have to pick one door and whatever prize is behind that door, that's, that's the max of my winnings? I got into this backward. I came into life with my expectations so ridiculously low that if I hit Anything like if I could feed myself, I was I thought I was making a billion dollars, right? But but inadvertently, by having such low expectations, it forced me to have very near-term milestones that I put all of my effort into hitting. And then lo and behold, when I hit those milestones, when I could actually eat, I wasn't like, oh, well, I can eat now. So I guess this, you know, <laughs> I guess we're all done here, right? I said, okay, well, if I've made it to that level, how do I get to the next level? But what I learned over time, and we certainly incorporated this in, into how we build our company, um, set a very achievable milestone, you know, uh, ambitious but achievable, and actually hit it. Again, I always use the diet analogy. It's the person that says, I want to lose 40 pounds. Who cares if you want to lose 40 pounds? Can you lose one? Can you lose one? Yep. I love to quote my dad, and I've probably already said this uh, in the podcast at least once, but his his analogy for this was it's fine to aim for the moon is like but tell me how you're going to clear the fence make sure you clear the fence right it's it's all well and good to aim for the moon but if you can't clear the fence you're not getting to the moon so you know make sure that you're you're set up and structured in a way that you can achieve the short-term goals make sure that you have short-term goals and make sure that you right. understand how those stack up into the long-term ones um, and that's where i think that's where most founders fall short they have some idea of this um, you know, ephemeral prize that exists somewhere in a, in a distant future. Um, but they're not real clear 
um, on, on what the milestones that will actually get them there are, nor are they willing to accept that even achieving those is a huge win in and of itself, right? That, that this isn't a, a zero-sum game at which the end, you know, the winner takes all. Um, there's a lot of winning uh, and or losing, depending on how it comes out, um, along the way, right? It's, it's a full-on journey uh, with plenty to be enjoyed along the way if you allow yourself to. Actually, let me build on that for a minute because um, what, I, what I really want to have folks understand is that if you, if you can say, hey, uh, in this business, you know, we got it to a million dollars, throws off $200,000 of revenue, um, wasn't the runaway hit that people talk about. But let's talk about what it was. That business will allow us to go do something else if we choose. More importantly, to not have to do something else if we choose. I don't think people think about that whatsoever. It gave us the experience to understand how to get to that level, to understand how to get to more. Um, and it, it gave us something uh, you know, from a reputation and resume standpoint to build from. So if we want to go do another one, we've got some credibility to say that we even did it. Right. Here's what most likely happens. Uh, most people, most entrepreneurs who kind of do this poorly, they string together a a long history of total misses, right? And and they talk about how the next idea has to be bigger. It's like, if you never got to first base, why do you keep talking about home runs? Right, dude, yep. just get to first yep. base. Bunt, just bunt. Yeah, just advance somebody else on a base. Sacrifice yourself for God's sake. Well, there's a few things. So the first is, uh, if, if I'm so fortunate, and, and I have to re reference, this is about being fortunate, to get to a business that says it's at a million bucks thrown off 200K. The reality is, if I can never get to 400K, 600K, a million, whatever your your imaginary threshold is, so what? Right? Again, I, and I'm not being dismissive here. Like, you know, I, I'm, you know I'm, I'm all about cash, but I'm also saying you, you can't undersell how important it is to hit one of those milestones. And, you know, for, for every entrepreneur that's out there, that's uh, you're looking at another entrepreneur saying, oh, it could be bigger, it could be better, whatever. Remember that at some of those thresholds, you're 90% optimized for what you need cash for anyway, right? You know, once you bought car, house, et cetera, there's not that much more that you need that having made this horrible $200,000 decision um, is messing you up. I, I don't even know where people get this idea, like that, that there's some sort of, um, you know, limbo that, Entrepreneurs are stuck in because yeah, they didn't make I enough know. money. <laughs> I just don't get to see that actually happen. I can't think of a single example, right? Where it's like you know you're you've you've achieved as you said. There's like some some minimum bars that you cross, and like once you've hit those thresholds, and you have the let's go beyond basics, right? So like it's you know you get the houses, the cars, um, you know you're you've got a, a a stable business that's that's throwing off continuous cash for you, and you can continue to go to that well. Uh, what exactly is the problem there, right? And and we've even created some pejorative terms to describe some of these things, right? Oh, it's a lifestyle business, right? He, yeah, well, I've got a startup. You know, my, my friend Eric, you know, he's got this lifestyle business that right, gives him a way better lifestyle than I have with my startup. But uh, I'm going to, we, we talk about it like it's a problem, right? He's got a lifestyle business, right? Poor guy is stuck in a fantastic lifestyle. Oh, God, I, I pity him, right? I, I don't know where, I don't know where the notion came from. My favorite, Ryan, is... Uh, VCs that call it a lifestyle business. I'm like, hold on, whoa, whoa. Uh, back up. You guys raise a hundred million dollars. <laughs> they you you the guys are in the ultimate, ultimate lifestyle, lifestyle business, business, right? Like, yeah, right. Um, you guys raise a hundred million dollars. <laughs> You're on the hook for seven to ten years yeah. at a fixed uh, revenue rate. 
uh, off of that $100 million. Maybe you raise another fund, maybe you don't. Isn't that a lifestyle business? And by the way, what's the probability you're in the top quartile of VCs that'll ever see uh, a, a check, you know, um, a distribution at, at the end of this? Probably zero. Um, you're kind of, unless you're Mark Andreessen, you're kind of in no position to be talking about lifestyle businesses being in the ultimate lifestyle business as it is. I mean, it's, but, but actually let's stick with that. Let's, uh, I don't ever want to vilify investors because they're a critical part of the startup ecosystem, but I do want to put in perspective where some of these bullshit narratives come from, right? The idea that I have to have a huge business is entirely driven by investors. Okay. And, and you'll find tons of other content that that, that uh, we've written or talked about, which says that, look, if you're going to raise money, you need to have a huge total addressable market, a huge TAM. You have to. That's the whole point. If you're going to go to investors, that's not the same as saying you're supposed to have a big market or you shouldn't start a business. That's, that's idiotic. And so I think over time, uh, startup lore, the startup narrative, Ryan, has changed so that it's no longer just about uh, being successful, you know, making a profitable business. It now has to be a giant business to somehow have some sense for validation. And I just don't see who that's that, that's beneficial for at all, other than investors. Maybe you're right. I mean, at this point, the narrative is driving uh, the the actions, right? And so people have bought into this concept now that it has to be big to be successful, and then that dictates a particular path. Um, the the tail is absolutely wagging the dog in this case, and and quite unnecessarily so. People are out trying to figure out how they can get funding for businesses that probably don't need it, so that it can be bigger than it can ever possibly be. So therefore, it's not going to get funding anyway. So that's the other thing we see people keep running into these hurdles where it's like, well, we can't, we just can't seem to raise for this. The TAM's not big enough, the TAM's, well, then stop trying to raise money for it. Or don't torture the, yeah, don't torture the business into something it's not. Don't torture it. Don't torture it into something that it's not, right? It, if, if the TAM isn't big enough to justify funding, you probably also don't need the funding to do a good job in that market. You can probably build a really good, healthy business bootstrapping it and just doing it the way that businesses were built for a long time. I guess the thing we forget is that like these crazy funding rounds and, and the amount of, of third-party capital plowed into businesses didn't always exist. In fact, a lot of the very big businesses that, that we now associate as these huge success, successful companies came up at a time where that wasn't possible. They didn't have the same level of, of you know, equity available to them. Um, and they still managed to build these massive blue chip companies, right? It's possible. Uh, is it is it the same thing? Is it as fast? Is it as easy? I don't know. We never will. If you drive down your main street and look at every you know restaurant or retail store, um, they probably didn't get there with angel and venture funding to begin with. You know, some of them as they scale, they get they have private equity and things like that. Different ballgame. Um, but yeah, the truth is, ninety nine percent of businesses aren't taking on venture funding. They certainly didn't. That said, wherever you are in your career, and I don't think it matters if you're earlier in your career or later in your career. What you should be most concerned about, what we should all be most concerned about is, will it work? Will it? Will this thing actually work? Forget how big it might be. What's the, what's the highest probability that what I'm about to sink my cash, my time, my effort, and everything into will actually work? I mean, work being it's going to be, it's going to turn a profit, just to be clear. Uh, work isn't that we can acquire lots of users uh, with no revenue. Uh, work is... Do I have a viable business? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't count anymore. <laughs> no lack of dead bodies there. 
but I guess my point is, um, let's go back to the, the base hit concept or the get on base uh, first concept. If all you do is swing for home runs and, and never get on base, you'll always lose. Right. Every now and then again, somebody, you know, it becomes fortunate and they hit the, the right thing at the right time. But it's such a broken mechanic that we just see so many people going down in flames because they set themselves up for abject failure. They put themselves into a binary condition of like maybe this massive outcome with a really tiny probability or total failure with a massive probability. And like they they put themselves on that path. Um Arbitrarily, right? correct by choice, correct. they decided to do that, and it's not necessary, right? And so, so take our business for example. You know, uh, it's not fair to say that we bootstrapped the business because we had our own capital to fund the business, right? It's not quite the same thing. Like people think of bootstrapping as you've got you know five thousand dollars in the bank and you grow it up from there. I and mean, we had millions of dollars to to to, to work with, so to speak. Um, and so that said, uh, we've grown the business uh, without taking on venture capital. And if we wanted to make it bigger, we have so many options available. <laughs> That's the funny thing. Like, if all we want to do is scale the business, I could return the calls of 50 private equity companies or VCs right now, and we could go scale the business. And I'm not saying that, like, because we're something special, anybody can, you know, th th that gets to this level, right? Uh, it's, not, uh, it's not unique to how big our idea is. In fact, if you get to this level without having to raise capital, and I don't want to make this purely about raising capital, uh, you have even more options <laughs> because there's so many other ways you can get it done. But but that's not really my point. My point is if if what we're trying to do in those formative stages when picking the idea, when picking the market and you know picking our path, which also, by the way, often includes whether we raise money or not, um, is purely based on the biggest possible outcome. And if that biggest possible outcome also comes at the cost of the lowest possible probability, and doesn't always, but just to be clear, um, it's broken. It's a dumb idea, or it's, it's a dumb initial path. I would say, what does that idea look like to get to first base? I'll, I'll, I'll make up an example. Let's say that, Ryan, you and I were, were beating up the idea to do Airbnb. I would argue there's, there's two very different paths for how we get started there. One is the idea is huge. It's a billion dollar business. Um, and we need to fund the hell out of it to kind of, you know, to, to realize that goal in an, uh, a speedy way. And obviously that happened, right? So I'm, this is, you know, I, I'm trying to use it in, in the extreme. The other could be, you know, really Airbnb at the end of the day is a localized business. Um, people in certain areas are, 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 you know, renting their homes, et cetera. And so if we focused on the the demand for housing and, and, and vacationing, let's say in certain areas first, and then built it out more organically, we could probably bootstrap it. Would only take a few of us to do it. Um, and it would take a little more time, like business has been built for hundreds of years. Uh, but uh, we could also probably get that done too. H here would be my argument, and Ryan, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to hear yours. My argument would be, the business is a good idea, whether it's big or small. Let's go after whichever one we think has a higher probability of actually turning into something that's valuable to us. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. H how would you evaluate it? Well, yeah, in the same way. I mean, it's still, you still, to your, to the, to the, to the diet analogy, right? You can't lose the 40th pound until you've lost the 39th, 38th, 37th, right? And so it has to work. Right. And, and again, if it doesn't work at a small scale, 
there are very, very few businesses outside of like large manufacturing plays and things like that where ubiquity is necessary to to make something work, right? Like there's a there's a reason you don't see like cell phone companies popping up on a per zip code basis because the infrastructure required to do it doesn't make sense. Very, very few, very few uh, businesses that work in that way, and and the rest of them, you know, can be can be started as small as I mean, look, Chesky started it by by first the, the market was an extra couch they had in their apartment, right? Right, that's pretty yeah, localized, absolutely. right? We, we built a business around what? Yeah, absolutely. Drafting off Craigslist. Our TAM is my couch. It's three cushions. My TAM is three cushions currently, right? And again, it already existed too. That was the other thing. I mean, like you know. Craigslist was already allowing couch surfing and, and, you know, subletting and all that stuff. So, you know, what they did was come in and say, hey, let's see if we can make this work on a separate platform um, and, and then let's work to scale it. Right. Uh, but it worked first, both by proxy, by seeing it work on Craigslist and, and you know, uh, word of mouth and wherever else people were doing couch surfing um, and, you know, fractional uh, usage of, of homes or full usage of homes. Um, so it was already working by proxy and then they, then they continued to make it work, um, you know, starting out locally. I, we talk to so many entrepreneurs every year and it's, it's a conversation I have over and over and over again, where somebody's trying to figure out how to roll out to every market in the entire ever markets available to them at the same time. And I'm like, guys, pick one market, make it work there. Like, why do you think this has to happen nationwide or worldwide all at once? Make it work. In, in a microcosm, and then make it work elsewhere, right? Because if it won't work there, it's not going to work globally. Well, absolutely. And to your point, some ideas have to have scale. In other words, the idea itself doesn't work unless maybe you have a two-sided marketplace that has to have enough scale. And maybe Airbnb needed to be that. Maybe that needed to be funding or funded. But my, my point is this. If you're evaluating the idea by saying the only way I'm going to optimize my approach here is a billion dollars or bust, think of how many how unlikely it is that you'll ever get to that outcome, right? And look, as founders, we don't have that many shots on goal, right? If we're fortunate enough to start, let's say in our early 20s, and we get to start a couple more businesses along the way, awesome. But as we get a little bit older, late 20s, early 30s, et cetera, we have fewer and fewer opportunities to be able to swing like this. Now, one school of thought is going to be, well, if you only have a few opportunities, you better go for the biggest opportunity possible. <laughs> to which I say, fuck that. Yep. <laughs> I was like, yeah, 100%. if I only have one opportunity, I want the most probable opportunity possible. I can always figure out how to make it bigger later. That's actually a really easy problem to figure out. What I can't do is unwind spending seven years chasing some giant TAM because some investor told me to and wind up with nothing. Nothing is the worst outcome. Not a big enough town. That's a wrap for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan on behalf of my partner, Will Schroeder, and all the Startups.com family thanking you for joining us. And we hope you'll continue to join us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes or wherever you love to listen to Startup Therapy. You can find all of our episodes at startups.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more amazing resources to launch or grow your startup, be sure to head to startups.com and check out Startups Unlimited. It's everything we have to offer, from our online university to our amazing community of experts and founders, and even all the tools we've built like BizPlan, Fundable, and LaunchRock. It's everything a founder needs. Visit startups.com begin. 
That's startups.com slash B-E-G-I-N. You'll thank me later. Thank you.